Yeah, I, I, I love Innistrad. It's, I, I liked Eldritch Moon a lot. Like, a lot. And that was budget Innistrad. Like, I think Shadows of Innistrad was not good. It wasn't really good at the Innistrad thing, and it wasn't doing anything else. But Eldritch Moon was at least trying to do its own thing, and I, I liked a lot of the Eldrazi Devour stuff. Not Devour. What was that mechanic called? Uh, Emerge. Emerge, yeah. Yeah. No, Emerge was really, really cool. And yeah, go doing the full Lovecraftian horror thing where Shadows over Innistrad was just the like, ooh, what's going to happen? Is it going to be a Lovecraftian horror thing? I bet it is. And it's just like, that, that doesn't work when you have to sit there for three months with this whole set anticipating the real thing. And Shadows over Innistrad was the Sherlock Holmes set in a plane where it's like monsters all the time and it's like okay guys we, we can't really afford to be investigating for three months here so how about we wrap <laughs> yeah. this up hmm what could have happened here there's just like a torso over here and the legs on the opposite side that that art it's like some random life gain spell where uh it's just a person's hand with a glove but the hand is turning into some flesh devouring monster it's like <laughs> hmm, how interesting yeah. hmm. <laughs> everyone, welcome to episode 211 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Caster-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. Lee, I'm very excited to talk about Innistrad spoilers with you today. Yeah, they started, what, Thursday? And they have not stopped no, at all? we have, like, the whole set, basically, it feels like. The, the cutest part of this preview so far is that there was a card with Investigate spoiled in, like, the very first batch. Mm-hmm. And I, I love Investigate. It's, like, one of the cooler mechanics, in my opinion. Just, like, as a workhorse mechanic. Yeah. And I read today that there's just five cards in the set with Investigate. There's, like, one of each color. Hmm. That... They just wanted to sprinkle a little bit yeah, of it because people liked it the first time. But not really wanted to commit to just having cards with Investigate on it. Interesting. I, I'm only thinking of two of them, but the two that I'm thinking of are guards that could easily see constructed play. So at least they, you know, spent the points. But yeah, Innistrad. Yeah, I really just overall my impressions of these cards are that like they are cool and they appeal to me and like thematic and art sense in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm a big old Innistrad fanboy anyways uh but boy i am so much like this set is just a huge breath of fresh air after how much i did not like afr so uh, i'm feeling good looking at these cards yeah i'm a real innistrad gameplay and trope fanboy Mm -hmm. the the first innistrad was really really good but i think a lot of that was on the back of uh flashback for me Mm -hmm. and a lot of the flip cards were just monster tropes so those are the things I like the most about Innistrad, yeah. and they weren't in the last Innistrad sets, but now we've got both of those things just coming back. And it's good. It's good to be home, it feels like. Yeah. So how are we doing this? You just want to pick cards out, tackle them as we see fit? Yeah, I mean, so I'm kind of like scrolling up from September 1st, and you want to just like kind of go back and forth picking out cards as we do that, I guess? Yeah, sure. I guess obvious place to start is with arlen and the werewolves are all day bound night bound whatever that means yeah so to explain that mechanic it is 
uh, sort of modernization of the werewolf mechanic from Innistrad. Original werewolves were you cast the werewolf and then went at the end of a turn, if no spells were cast, you'd flip it. And then if any player casts two spells in a turn, that makes them flip back. This kind of cohesions the whole thing so that it is always either day or night whoever's turn it is that's the person who gets to like influence whether it flips on the next turn so if you cast no spells and it is day then it becomes night on the next turn as long as it's your turn and then if it's your turn and it is night and you cast two spells then it becomes day on the next turn so uh solves it sort of complicates it a little more, becomes a little more difficult to understand at first glance, but I think it will play better, uh, especially for limited, where like the pass my turn to flip my werewolves, I really hope that you don't have an instant you can cast with that two mana right now, or else like I'll have just tempoed myself to death here. Uh, that doesn't exist anymore, and that's nice. And also the kind of weird thematic thing of like, it's nighttime for one of my werewolves and it's daytime for another one of my werewolves. So I, I appreciate this kind of like modernization of the whole thing and it feels thematic and, and compelling. Yeah. Like one of the big things about the day night mechanic is that when it's nighttime, all your werewolves enter the battlefield as werewolves. When you cast yes. them, you don't have to wait a turn for them to flip. That's really big. Yeah. That is gigantic. Cause yeah, the other bad feeling is when you successfully flip a werewolf but then you draw a werewolf on your turn, and you're like, dang, I, maybe I should have waited a little while to do the no casting spells on my turn thing. Because that's a big investment sometimes. And, and we've had like four sets of werewolves. And the only playable one that I ever remember was Master of Pels, which is just like an excellent rate card. Yes. it's, it's Because it was so awkward to flip them. A reckless Waif, because it was a one oh, mana. one drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if they just didn't play a spell on their first turn, then you got a 3-2. But mostly a Raging Goblin with huge upside. Oh, you're you're thinking of the other one mana. Werewolf. Oh, the other one? Yeah. I'm getting the confused, yeah. the Menace one. But it's okay. The None of them are super memorable. Hopefully this Daybound, Nightbound mechanic works a little better. Still going to be a little iffy for Constructed Play, because to flip your werewolves, you do have to pass the turn. Arlen is clearly attempting to enable that arlen the pax hope two green red four loyalty day bound uh plus one until your next turn you may cast creature spells as though they had flash and each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it minus three create two 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 green wolf creature tokens the night bound side has plus two add a green and a red and zero she becomes a five five werewolf creature with trample indestructible and haste so obviously the joke here is that you plus her, that allows you to pass the turn and make it night, and then you can cast the your werewolves on their turn. Yeah, it works on the other side too, on the on the back side. Mm -hmm. You can play her, add two mana, then play another spell to immediately help her. Yeah, that's true. If you want to make it uh daytime again. Yeah. Like if you want the wolf the wolf ability is Arlen's best ability. The on the front side, the minus three make two two twos. Yeah. I mean, she comes down and is three permanents. There's a, a good chance that that is good. This card is, uh, even as far as Planeswalkers go, like really hard to evaluate. <laughs> Every Flipwalker <laughs> is hard to evaluate. But this one also, like, you have to be thinking constantly about what time of day it is when you're playing her mm -hmm. and what abilities are good for you. Yeah. 
And I just don't know how to process that. It seems so hard to manage based on what you're getting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, if it's nighttime, Arlen is a really good attacker. Yes. But that's all she is. She doesn't protect herself at all. Yeah, if she comes in and it's nighttime. Right. But, I mean, if she comes in and it is nighttime, then likely you have at least one other werewolf that is, it's nighttime, because you made it nighttime, you know? You did make it nighttime, yeah. So you have to have had another card with Daybound Nightbound on it in order to have gotten there. And so, ideally, at that point, she's coming down on a turn where you have another Nightbound Werewolf and you're coming in for, like, nine damage or something like that. And probably she's not getting attacked back after that. Yeah, it's interesting. I I like this card, but... It's yeah so difficult to imagine the werewolf mechanic being a player and constructed. And I haven't really looked at many of the werewolf cards, I guess. Because mm-hmm. those are all the nightbound, daybound. Yeah. I mean, I do appreciate that she is trying to enable that passing the turn in order to flip your werewolves mm-hmm. without giving up all of your mana for that turn cycle in your creature deck. Uh, probably if you're going to be like a werewolf theme deck, you need at least some other way to make it night without it costing you infinite tempo but you know in just a red green creature deck if there's you know an actual control deck in this format which we haven't really had in standard for a minute i guess is it control was a thing that somehow got chosen by a number of players at this last gauntlet weekend but uh you know against a deck like that like this is a good planeswalker it's three permanents in play if they don't deal with it, then it threatens to do some gnarly stuff to them. So there's potential here. Uh, yeah, as just the front side in a red green mid range deck is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Making a bunch of creatures and then being able to play instant speed the following turn to flip your Arlen and get in a big attack is actually really good. Yeah. As far as pressure goes, my main problem with that is that that's a two color aggro deck and or like aggro slash mid range deck, and your mana is going to be terrible yeah. because there are no come and play untapped lands. For red and green. <laughs> yeah, really frustrating. I guess that does kind of segue us to the lands that got spoiled for this set. Yeah, so these are these are the slow lands. Mm-hmm. We've got a whole cycle, overgrown farmland, deserted beach, haunted ridge, shipwreck marsh, rockfall, veil. So five cards, and they're all the allied colors. So white, blue, blue, black, uh, black, red, red, green, green, white. And they all come into play tapped unless you have two or more other lands so they're the complete opposite of the scars of mirrod and kaladesh fast lands that i've desperately been wanting a reprint of uh these are the exact opposite of those yes so definitely frustrating in that they don't really enable aggro decks unless they're built in like pretty specific ways uh and that is a bummer because we just have been stuck playing either monocolored aggro decks or like gruel decks with effectively like 28 lands in them so you just raw number of lands overcomes the terrible mana situation i think these lands other than that particular criticism of the land printing philosophy these lands are really good dual lands yeah they are they're really good dual lands in like a slower format these are up there with the check lands i would say Mm -hmm. like the dragon skull summit cycle glacial fortress etc like they're they're pretty much on that par yeah and and i was listening to i think it was tannin and ross and i i really disagreed with ross's take on these lands 
where he was saying, you can't run that many of them. You have to be careful with how many you run. And I think that's actually, if you think about hands with indexed with lots of these lands, I think that's actually completely wrong. All you need is one pathway and you're casting your lands like, or you're casting your spells basically like you have a deck full of alpha duels. Like you play one of these that comes into play tapped on turn one and then you play a pathway on turn two, you can cast your two mana spell and then for the rest of the game, any number of these just come into play untapped. And so as long as you draw one basic or pathway or something for turn two, you can draw only these and your deck functions beautifully. So Yeah, they're 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 really good. Yeah. The only criticism I really have is about like the mana base situation we're left in. Mm-hmm. Whereas these both don't have land types. Like they're not planes island, they're just lands. Right. So they don't work with the snarls, which were already terrible yeah. and in a different color combination but, than these. Yeah, and this would be, obviously they have to be kind of careful with land types, but holy crap, giving these land types would actually make the snarls halfway functional. because yeah, and, and you'd still be locked into three color decks if you want to do that because they don't, the snarls are all enemy colors. Right, these are right. All color. So that wouldn't help the aggro decks at all. But like at least, you know, snarls with triomes or snarls with other comes into play tapped lands with types like it works really poorly because you get to play your untapped land turn one and then you play a tap land turn two and then you're just like what am i doing with my life but if these had land types they would actually kind of work with the snarls in your three color decks and i believe fable passage and all the temples are also rotating mm-hmm. so i think our dual lands are just these two cycles right <laughs> god is that it <laughs> Like, a, there's nothing in Kaldheim other than the snow duels. Those are just gates. Yeah. And then there's these and the snarls. Um. Wait, what are the Zendikar duels? Is there no duel? The Zendikar had mythic flip plans. Oh. They didn't have any duel lands. Oh, we, have, we, we still have pathways. Pathways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And pathways. Yeah, okay. I, it, it sounded wrong to me, but I couldn't think of what the heck we had. We Yeah, so. Pathways doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, pathways are going <laughs> to be doing an enormous amount of work but these work really well with the pathways and will mm-hmm. make super functional mana bases so i also really like the art on these mm-hmm. uh, I, i'm looking at the full art ones they're nice uh because they're really pretty to me the other ones the like the, the ones in the basic set are also very classic innistrad looking yeah they all look haunted they all yeah. look haunted and as I, shit I'm, <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of that like, I don't really like the Innistrad lands personally, but I, I do recognize there's, like, a big audience for them. I am part of that audience. Yeah. I, I think it's most people. I'm just, I don't know. It's too dark for me. Sure. They just all look too washed out. so plaintive and something terrible happened here. I like the feeling. I like the mood. I'm glad we get more pumpkins in the fuller of the green-white land. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking out for the pumpkins in this set because we've got red and six and the plains. Uh, or Rin and Seven, excuse me. There seem to be pumpkins in the regular art of the Green White Land too, so you can get your pumpkin fix regardless of which okay, version. Perfect. Uh, just a quick note because it's right here before we scroll up on Galvanic Iteration, red blue for an instant. When you cast your next instant or sorcery spell this turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy and flashback one red and a blue. This being an instant and having flashback makes it the best version of this unplayable effect that they've like ever given us. I don't think it's good, except that there are gifts on given piles that you can make with it. So. Well, Hey, you can also cast it then flash it back, copy itself, then cast another spell. 
get three copies. Well, you get you're right, right. You get the original and two copies, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It doesn't like. It's not a quadratic thing. It's just yes. No. Um, that would be neat, but no. But my main use case that I could see for this is that it allows you to build different gifts piles than we have had access to before and that could be useful but i don't really know for what okay i want to talk about jadar it's a two drop let's do it because it's got one of the new mechanics in. oh this is the this... uh ophiomancer right yes so this is a jadar ghoul caller of nefalia it's a 1b11 legendary human wizard at the beginning of your end step if you control no creatures with decade create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with decade and what decade is is uh, creatures with decay can't block, and whenever they attack, you sacrifice it at end of combat. So it's kind of like a temporary creature. You just throw them at your opponent. You don't care whether it lives or dies, because it can't do anything but attack. <laughs> or be used for, you know, sacrifice fodder or whatever. Right. I love the decay mechanic. <laughs> I One of my favorite things about reading the design of a mass from War of the Spark was that they had this whole system where a mass was originally just make a 1-1 zombie token and you just kept making them to dry, to, grow, to grow a giant army, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem with making a ton of tokens is that combat gets bogged down so much because all the tokens can block. Yeah. So what they did initially was whenever one of your tokens attacks or blocks, all of them have to attack or block one thing. <laughs> and so they just compressed it into just being one big token. Yeah. Uh, Decade is a lot of what I like about tokens, which is uh, just throw away creatures without all the negative side effects of, all right, I've got five tokens, you have six attackers, so you just are, are done attacking for now, which is horrible. Yes. I I completely agree. This That decade is a great implementation of, hey, we'd like you to make tokens, but you know we're going to assign a different value to them and have them have a different effect on the game than you are used to having from tokens. Uh, and Jadar is like a really cool implementation of that because he really rewards you for finding uses for throwaway creatures beyond just attacking with them. Yeah, Jadar, you really want to get all of your decayed stuff off the table because you get one of the in the instep and you can't attack until your next turn. So while you can throw away creatures with Jadar, he's just a 1-1 for 2. Uh, it really behooves you to just keep using those tokens as soon as you get them yeah so i i mean i'm not super interested in jadar to just attack with his token but if we're doing any sacrifice stuff i am so like this is a great two drop for a sacrifice oriented deck just fuel every single turn for whatever you're doing yeah i i don't know where jadar is going but he's a card i'm really excited for like i always like sacrifice decks because they're pretty tinkery and fun Mm -hmm. And maybe with enough decayed stuff, there's some stuff we can do. I don't know. It always depends on what you can actually do with the tokens, like what the payoffs are. Yeah. And right now it's Bastion of Remembrance is rotating, so we'll we'll see. (laughs) I mean, but at a minimum, we do still have village rights, and we have the Mm -hmm. AFR one that gives you a treasure as well. So, like, there is some amount of sacrificing for value that exists and is extremely playable, and then you just got to kind of figure out the rest from there but there's there's some stuff and the fact that this guy makes the token at your end step you don't have to wait at all you just get it uh and yeah i i like this a lot price is right for it too one in a black it's a nice one nice little utility creature yeah 
All right, well, there is Brutal Cathar. So this is two and a white for a 2-2 two -two human soldier werewolf. When this creature enters the battlefield or transforms into Brutal Cathar, so when it transforms back to the day side, uh, exile target creature and opponent controls until this creature leaves the battlefield. Uh, it's got day bound. And the opposite side is Moonrage Brute, first strike, ward, pay three life, and it is night bound. So, and it's a 3-3. And it's a 3-3, yeah. A little bit bigger. You know, this is... I don't know exactly how you use this. You can just use it as a Banisher Priest. And then if it flips, then it fights way harder than a Banisher Priest does and has Ward, which is really nice. Kind of hard to flip it unless your deck is trying to do that intentionally. There's not a lot of games in Constructed where in the first five turns you're comfortable just passing the turn. That's, you know, not... Especially in a white deck. Right. And if the, you're playing against a deck that this card is good against it's a deck with a bunch of creatures and they're probably not passing the turn and flipping it over tonight. But I, I really appreciated the use case that Ross came up with it, came up with for it, which is uh, if you're playing against the werewolf deck and you put this into play and they want to keep flipping it from <laughs> night to day and back that you just get to eat all their creatures. That That is pretty funny. The, the thing that werewolves are usually going to be red green, like that's a lot of the power mm -hmm. of werewolves is uh i imagine mostly this is uh gonna take a back seat to skyclave what's it called apparition yeah apparition that is yeah, taking up a you. lot of the space for this card i agree uh i want to talk about sagarda champion of light mm -hmm. so this is a 1g white white 4-4 legendary angel so four mana for a 4-4 it's got flying and trample and humans you control get plus one plus one it's got a mechanic coven, which is this mechanic where if you have creatures with three different kinds of power, it has a different effect. So whenever Sagarda attacks, if you control three or more creatures with different powers, look at the top five cards of your library, you can reveal a human card from among them and put it into your hand. Then the rest go in the bottom in a random order. Kind of a generic card I picked because I wanted to talk about Coven. Like, Sagarda is fine if you if you can be, like, the white-green human deck. In which case, you'll probably play the Brutal Cathar because, you know, that's a human. <laughs> the Coven ability is really similar to Party to me mm -hmm. where, all right, you've got a bunch of stuff on the board. Your card is better, but you've already got a bunch of stuff on the yeah. board. <laughs> and in Constructed, all you're trying to do is keep your opponent from having a bunch of stuff on the board. <laughs> I will say that white decks in particular are much better at achieving a coven like white creature decks than any other kind mm -hmm. because it's really easy to get a one one token and a two power creature and a three power creature because that's a really easy condition to me true yeah i mean sigarda's coven ability is just like a huge like it's almost trinket text on the card i feel like it's just a win more like if you attack with your four mana four four lord and you have creatures that is pumping <laughs> and your opponent doesn't die then you get one more human to put into it's like okay I, I mean i untapped with my four mana four four flying trample lord so i'm fine and 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 have multiple creatures that it's pumping uh but sure like decent power level if the human deck exists i don't know how many of these you run but probably a couple i i, I i'm confident that people sagarda looks powerful enough just on rate four mana four four flyer as long as you can actually cast her mm -hmm. which is non-trivial because she's double white and green yeah uh she probably wins the game the turn or the turn after she comes to play sure it just depends on entirely on if the human yeah. deck is reasonable 
so scrolling up from here, I see Poppet Stitcher. This is two and a blue for a human wizard, two, three. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, create a two, two black zombie creature token with decayed. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control three or more creature tokens, you may transform Poppet Stitcher. It transforms into Poppet Factory, which is an artifact. Creature tokens you control lose all abilities and have base power and toughness 3-3. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you can transform it back into Poppet Stitcher. So it's a very wild take on the young Pyromancer school of cards. Obviously, you know, three mana is very different from two. Sedgemore Witch has seen some amount of play, but the, like, relevance of the menace on the body and the ward have, like, made a difference there. Uh, but, I mean, Poppet Stitcher, when you do flip it, makes your tokens into, like, a real army. They don't do a good job of, like, they don't block until you flip it. So that it's, you know, not fulfilling a lot of the things that a young Pyromancer normally does. But, like, they become three threes when you flip this. <laughs> That's a Garrick Wildspeaker style power toughness. Mm -hmm. Just massive amounts of three. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take a lot. Like you have three, at least three when you flip it, like you're attacking them for a lot of damage with those tokens. Yeah. And, and it's historic. You could build like the young Pyromancer Poppet Stitcher deck and all your Pyromancer tokens also become three threes. Yeah, that's true. I like there's definitely some power here so I, it's three mana has three toughness you definitely can't you're not super excited to play it in a format where there's like a lot of lightning strikes or god forbid lightning bolts but if that's not a big deal if you're in a stomp format like this is this can do work yeah it, it depends on what the removal really looks like in the format because i think just on rate this card is a little suboptimal mm -hmm. like you really want your your spells metal cards to be two mana or not easily targetable mm -hmm. like thing in the ice is kind of both of those because it's so big and it's cheap right or dynavolt tower saw some play because there's just a permanent that stuck around before braid was printed mm -hmm. uh, and this card kind of doesn't dodge any of those like commonly removal and it's a three mana card but if people are just playing shocks and you can really establish a bunch of even zombies can close the, the door before you have to turn it into the factory. Like if you if you're casting out any spells. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, this may be the type of card that's like, yeah, it's really good when all of the conditions are met, but that quest is a little too difficult for most for enough constructed games to make this worth building a deck around. But I do like the, like I flipped it with my young pyromancer tokens in play, and I I will kill you with those. Like that's kind of hot. It's just like an anthem for random tokens you have lying around. Yeah, and yeah. It, the, it, like I, I, I do think you probably want more token generators than just this, and it needs to be something cohesive with it. But the the combo of token generator and token anthem is a pretty nice package. Mm -hmm. It's weird that it's blue because mostly anthems are white. Right. To a lot of tokens are also in white, so maybe you can just. And the problem about white is that you don't have a lot of good spells in that deck, so it, it's a little weird right. in terms of it being a blue card and a creature anthem, so I think this is a card that's very carefully balanced around that. That's why my eyes kind of lit up when you said Young Pyromancer, because that does make mm -hmm. sense to me as a, a deck concept. Yeah, it's just a natural fit. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm also reading some of these cards as we go. Yeah, me too. So, <laughs> especially a lot of these werewolves, just like a lot of text on these uncommons because they have two sides. I do like the reprinting Thermo Alchemist. That is a, a really nice card. Just a stalwart of making like bad decks like kind of interesting and make you want to try it and see if it'll do it. Maybe we can burn our opponent out. Probably not. Sadly, but... an uncommon this go around. It was one of my favorite cards in Eldritch Moon mm-hmm. as at a common. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. So a little disappointing that I can't just burn my opponents out with two of their Wonkos anymore. <laughs> that is a little disappointing, yeah. Did that count as one for you, or are you going to come up with one? No, I didn't even read the card text. Yeah. I'm just trying to... I'm, I'm going through the cards, and I'm, like, reading some I <laughs> okay. found. Like, the first one I read wasn't impressive enough. <laughs> like, I kind of want to talk about Geistling Reservoir. It's weird. It's a 2R artifact. So three mana total. Whenever you cast an instant sorcery spell, you put a charge counter on it, and you can pay one in a red, tap, and remove any number of charge counters from it to deal that much damage to any target. So it's kind of like a Shrine of Burning Rage, or half of one. But it's got another mode, which is one in a red, tap it, to exile the top card of your library, and you can play it this turn. So it's got this weird, I am a sideboard card for a red deck, kind of, huh. screaming out to me. Sure. Where it's this card advantage card and some sort of uh, burn plan. Yeah. How many instances and sorceries do we get to play in our red deck? Right. Is part of the question here. Well, hopefully more of a Thermal Alchemist. Yeah, that's true. This seems really mana intensive to me. I Yeah, I think it's incredibly mana intensive, which is why I was hesitant bringing it up. Because Shrine of Burning Rage was just like two mana. Leave it alone. It will track up by itself. If we still had, if we were a runaway Steamkin red deck format, cards like this would be a little more interesting to me. Yeah, I think this one's like you said, a little too expensive. It is, it is neat though, and I'm on the, I'm always on the lookout for outpost siege effects. It, it is neat, and it's also like potentially, I mean, depending on what your like historic combo deck looks like some amount of like burgeying and stuff like that you know this is potentially a like a, even a win condition in a deck like that so i don't know it is it's a neat card for sure uh i guess right next to it we've got can't stay away white black for a sorcery return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield gains if this creature would die exile it instead and this has flashback of three a black and a white and very cat related art here I think that this card is pretty good. We played, admittedly, with Luris, but we played a lot of Call of the Death Dweller, mostly just to give us continued access to Luris over the course of a game. (laughs) And this probably just does a better job than that in black and white decks. And yeah, I'm... Yeah, what that says to me is that if there's a card not even as important as Luris, because I gotta hope that never happens, but a card that is important enough to the deck to warrant always having a copy of it mm-hmm. can't stay was pretty good as long as you're in black and white yeah yeah and as long as you have some critical mass of like actual like three cmc creatures that are good to have in play or you know like i if we can make the black white death shadow deck in historic actually work and not just like not function when you don't draw a danto vanguard as it currently is uh, the fact that this can get back Ranger Captain or Scourge of the Skyclave or Death Shadow is pretty nice. That, that's not a bad card to have in your deck. Uh, I want to talk about another gold flashback card. 
That's Rite of Harmony. Mm-hmm. It's a green-white instant. Whenever a creature or enchantment enters the battlefield under your control this turn, you draw a card. And it has flashback for two green-white. So this is Glimpse of Nature-y. Uh, it's, what's the beck and call? Is that the f- split card that's also a two-mana Glimpse of Nature? Yes. So it's in the vein of this, except for this one has built-in card advantage and flashback. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty nice, because you can... One of the cool things about Glimpse of Nature is you can cast it, cast a bunch of creatures as a setup glimpse, mm-hmm. and then the second time you cast it, usually in Elves decks, you just win the game then. Yeah. So this one gives you easy access to just always having two, even though it's very pricey. Yeah, so the flashback to make use of it, it has to be in an Elves-type deck that can leverage, like, okay, I put, like, four or five creatures into play... Next turn, I'll have so much mana. Well, it also works with... Glimpse of Nature, you had to cast the creature. Mm -hmm. This one, you only need to have them into the battlefield. So it does work with tokens and stuff like that. Yeah, and that is pretty nice. uh, Because it never was like like the counterspell part aspect of Glimpse. It doesn't actually... If they had a counterspell, they would counter the Glimpse. So, you know, the fact that you get to draw cards even if your creature doesn't resolve doesn't really matter. So this is... The text is mostly upside over Glimpse. Certainly costing two is very different from costing one. But being white over blue is a hugely better color for this sort of effect. It also randomly works with enchantments. I don't really know how to evaluate that. But it is interesting that they put that text on the card. I, yeah, that's really weird. It's just like a weird, like, one-turn enchantress and now we're all so tired of Enchantress stuff because people are doing it in modern and historic. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Pretty weird. You could throw it in your, uh, what's that green-blue rare called? The four-mana one, the birthing pod? Oh, Enigmatic Incarnation. Yeah, you could throw it in your Incarnation. Uh, you basically don't have any slots for a card that isn't an enchantment or a creature in those decks, though. <laughs> yeah, and you're really not lacking for value. No, but... that's, yeah, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I do think that this card potentially has legs. The additional color makes it tougher for sure to use in like, I'm playing combo elves. And also, you know, there's a lot of stuff working against elves inherently in the format now. Existence of Plague Engineer, all of the cheap removal, etc. It's like a million different things. But... Like, I don't think the flashback on this card is meaningless. I think it is in better car- colors than Beck. And so there there could be something there for sure. Right, you're up. Yeah, I'm looking. I am... Well, I want to talk about Giza if you don't have a card ready to go. Uh, Sure, yeah, let's talk about Giza. Do you say Giza or Giza? I I don't know how it's pronounced. I said Giza. The Leaning Tower of Giza? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So Giza Glorious Resurrector is 2BB for a legendary human wizard. It's a 4-4. Uh, if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you put all creature cults exiled with her onto the battlefield under your control, and they gain decayed. It kind of a weird, like, Kalidus that's not actually, like, good on defense. It's just, like, good against creature decks in, like, a very specific way. Yeah, this is the, the aggro Kalidus. <laughs> Which is not... <laughs> the point definitely like being defensive is what made Kalidus like the thing that it was yeah the the lifelink deal and being able to block with the two twos was yeah what made Kalidus so good uh, I don't think Giza's likely to see like that much play or any mm-hmm. 
but I kind of want to call it out because I liked it. It was a neat way to use Decayed, uh, like, to use your opponent's creatures that you get on the battlefield for free. Mm-hmm. And unlike uh, the the first card we talked about, the two-drop, these cards are more or less permanent. Like, it, she doesn't penalize you for having Decayed cards already. So if your opponents have creatures with abilities, you just get to keep those and use them. Right, if it's... <laughs> as long as you don't attack with yeah. them. Yeah, I don't think this is a good card as, like, here's my Gisa Glorious Resurrector deck. I don't think that's a thing. Because, like, imagine casting this card against, like, an opponent playing a blue control deck. You just cast a 4-mana 4-4. You can't do that. But I do imagine this potentially as specifically a sideboard card in mirror matches for, like, any decks doing sacrifice graveyardy stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you can't win if your opponent has this card in play and you're both doing graveyard stuff. Like, they just, you don't get your stuff back and they get it instead. Yeah, and assuming your creatures work together, yeah, uh, you're going to lose pretty quickly after that. Yeah. You're just kind of locked out of the game. Right, yeah. Getting their creatures is way better if they are the same as your creatures. <laughs> That's definitely. Um, also, if you play the showcase version of this card against me, I will judge you because the art is so good on the regular version of the card. I I love the art of the original version. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember who the artist is because uh, it's not in front of me. But it, it is fantastic, yeah. phenomenal. Like, just just play the regular version, please. I I really appreciate that art. So much character. Yes, uh, there's a there's a lot of really good like character moment arts in this set that I appreciate. Uh, let's see what we got. So we've got, for the Werewolf deck here, we've got Kessig Naturalist. This is a green-red 2-2, human werewolf. Whenever Kessig Naturalist attacks, add green or red until end of turn. You don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. It's daybound. And the knight side is other wolves and werewolves you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever Lord of the Ovenwald attacks, add red or green until end of turn. You don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. So this is a two-drop like for the werewolf deck that if they don't do something about it it just like contributes wildly to your game plan but it also dies to shock <laughs> and it's also a red green two drop in a format with shaky mana as we i know discussed. i know like <laughs> werewolves is just like hello play this two color aggro deck and then the mana base is just like how hello how? you can't what, what do you want me to do basic uh, pathway and a basic land you're good to go Good luck. <sighs> but if a werewolf deck exists, this is the two drop. I am a little frightened for, like, building a werewolf deck seems perilous given multiple things, including the mana base. Okay, I guess if I get a second one. <laughs> There's a black werewolf? Goodness. What are they doing? That's good art, too. Jeez. I actually kind of like this card. All right, I'm going to talk about this one. Let's do it. <laughs> right, Graveyard Trespasser. Uh, this is a 2B3-3 human werewolf. So a black werewolf uh, with ward. Discard a card. Uh, whenever Graveyard Trespasser enters the battlefield or attacks, you can exile up to one target card from a graveyard. And if a creature card is exiled this way, each one loses one life and you gain one life. Uh, it has stay bound because it's a werewolf. So already it's kind of like a... Uh, what was that Inish, or not Inishrod, Ixalan ooze that, that ate up the graveyard every turn? Oh. Death Gore Scavenger? 
I guess oh, it was a dinosaur. dinosaur. Yeah, Deathcore Scavenger. <laughs> <laughs> you got the name, just the creature type, wildly wrong. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like a dinosaur. It doesn't behave like a dinosaur. That's, that's true. I guess without the art, I just like would not... In- there's no way I interpret that as any sort of dinosaur. So it's it's neat. And, and, and this set is really graveyard-centric, so it's probably relevant. And then the flip side is a 4-4 with the same ward ability of discard a card. Uh, and then the other, when it attacks, you can exile up to two cards from graveyards. And for each creature card exiled that way, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. So this is your, your Death Quarter scavenger of the set, I guess. Yeah. The I'm gonna hate on my graveyard while I'm still attacking at a at a pretty good rate two B for three three that is kind of hard to target. I mean, it's got the reality smasher ability like that's pretty real. Yeah, and if you make it night, it's twice as efficient. Yeah, I I think this card is great as long as you do need to kind of just like manage a graveyard without it being like I need to lantern this graveyard away because they're really doing reanimator stuff or whatever. Uh, if you're just trying to keep their graveyard from getting out of control while having a thing on the board. I, yeah, I'm totally down for this. Deathcord Scavenger saw way more play than you kind of would have thought by reading it initially, and this is kind of better. Yeah, it's also so big for a black card. I'm not used to seeing 2B 3-3. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like 1BB or something, mm-hmm. but this is just really splashable, big, kind of hard to kill, does its thing. No, I'm into this. I don't mind this at all. And it's a black werewolf. As far as I know, it's the first one. I mean, in the Innistrad. There might be, like, one in the dark or whatever. Curse of Silence? What is this? I don't... Curse of Silence I don't want to try a, evaluating this one. I mean, it's just, like, a weird not-hate card. Yeah. It doesn't work that well at all. Yeah, I, I got to the last line, and whenever Enchanted Player casts a spell with the chosen name, you may sacrifice Curse of Silence if you do draw a card. So, oh, you got there. I guess I'll draw a card before you fucking kill me with that spell. I didn't want you to cast this, but now that you have, after I've momentarily tripped you up, I guess I'll cash this in for a card now. I mean, I guess it sort of allows it to play... So if you play against Storm, you could cast a turn one and name, like, Baral. But you can't name Baral and Goblin Electromancer, so you just, like, get it wrong. They never cast the other one. You never get to draw your card. So, like, <laughs> what, what are you even doing? Oh, we've reached Faithful Mending. Wait, can we talk about Pithing Needles in the set? Oh, yeah. Because Pith- it's a reprint. We don't have to explain it. Pithing Needles in the set. It was not in Historic. It is now in Historic. Oh, really? Yeah. That's nice. I That was the only thing I was sure was going to be in the set after the teasers. Like, a, a tournament card with four artworks or whatever. Like, oh, it's, it's Pithing Needle. Swords are spy best rotating out. So let's get Pithing Needle back in here. Just very efficient, very good, not, like, oppressive or anything. It's just a purely reactive card. Yeah, I mean, just a nice thing to have access to in one or two mana form. I do like Spyglass a lot, especially for standard play, but, you know, never going to turn down having access to Pithing Needle. I, I always prefer Pithing Needle over Spyglass. I I think Spyglass is legitimately better than Needle in a lot of standard environments. I, I think so too, but I, I like the risk you incur with Pithing Needle more okay. than the Spyglass. Sure. I also hate, hate it when people look at my hand. Okay, that, yes. I mean, I, I think that that is probably true. Like, if you could somehow, like, get that effect without seeing all of the other cards in the hand, then, yeah, I, 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 I would be behind it. But I do like kind of the flexibility and, like, the 
you know, you bring in Pithing Needle and it's effectively assigned to the problem card in the matchup. But when you play the Spyglass, sometimes you do juke it a little bit and, and change what you were doing. And, and that is kind of nice a lot of the time. All right, you can talk about Faithful Mending now. Yeah, I mean, we have to. I don't really want to. Blue-white, instant, you gain two life, draw two cards, then discard two cards, flashback, one, a white, and a blue. Some flavor text that really tells you, like, this is a Faithless Looting reference card because you couldn't have figured it out from the name or the text or the, the flashback or anything like that. The key to making this card good is making it better than is it charm via the flashback because is it charm is just not a playable magic card and it's got a bunch of extra modes too but you can't play is it charm in like modern and you can barely play it in pioneer so the flashback has to be relevant for this to be good and it's indefinitely like the wrong colors for dredge so if you're doing this you're just like on all cities of brass uh Flashback on this effect is really gross, though. So, like, if you can make it work, if you're putting this into your graveyard and you're a deck that can do the flashback and get the benefit out of it, then sure. If you're trying to do Arclight Phoenixes, I'm not about this. Yeah, see, I think this card is really, really good if you're colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, white-blue is such a bad color combination for this effect. Even though the, the text... If I told you it was like just a two cost card with this text and flashback three, it sounds really good. Mm -hmm. But it's white blue. Yeah. Which really narrows the scope of what you're doing with it. And I'm not saying like maybe there is a deck for it. Like I really like Monk Class out of AFR. That's a good card for Faithful Mending. Mm -hmm. But like, what are you doing? Because you have to use your graveyard with Faithful Mending. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to do that like if this card were white black or blue black it, it would be way better but yeah. it's not yeah i mean this one is a tough sell for me but if the colors line up right and the cards that you're doing stuff with line up right you know the flashback is the reason that faithless looting is so busted i mean being one mana is also a big contributor <laughs> to that but like you know, I think that Blue-Red Phoenix with careful study would be a pretty reasonable deck to have in Modern. The fact that you are always able to hold two lands in your hand and then discard them to the flashback of your Faithless Looting and get up real cards was a really gross long game plan that gave that deck a lot of power. I don't know. I don't know where Faithful Mending goes. And just to reiterate, Is It Charm is a bad magic card. Is it charm with a couple of the modes taken away and a flashback that maybe sometimes you cast but isn't that good in your deck is also a bad magic card. So figure out how to make the flashback part broken. That's the only thing this has going for it. Is croaking counterpart like the name a pun? <laughs> like, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Well, so there was crackling counterpart, and this is yeah. just a reference to that, and it's just a frog version of that card. So... Well, why can't I copy frogs and make a smaller frog? Like, why can't I copy a Gitrog monster? I mean, I guess a, f a little frog cosplaying as a Gitrog monster would be really cute. Yeah, there's one in the set. There's, like, a picture of a frog looking into a pool, and in the other side, on the reflection is Gitrog monster, and he's, like, trying to grow up to be a Gitrog monster. It's very aspirational. Is that real? What card is yes, that? Yes, I'm serious. Hold on. I don't know what card it is. I saw the art. 
<laughs> what? <laughs> I need to see this. I didn't see that. That's amazing. There's no way I'm going to be able to find it. Uh, but I, I'm i not creative enough to just no, make this whole cloth. <laughs> no, that whole sentence was just like life-altering for me. I'll find it eventually. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, silly. I guess that you can't count our frogs, but the point is... I guess that you can't just make multiple copies of the same creature. I, I don't know why you shouldn't be able to copy the token you make. That does not seem like it would power this card up too much. <laughs> anyway, other than it being cute and the Gitrog art, if we ever find it being adorable. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, whatever. Who cares about this card? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess like the clones that only copy your creatures are bad because you can't compete with an empty board this does copy their creatures but it makes a 1-1 version of their creature and so it's probably they're probably not playing creatures that are optimized to be count to be copied with croaking counterpart so that like advantage over this type of three mana clone probably doesn't come into play a lot uh so yeah unlikely to be great or you know playable <laughs> i don't know i started reading this card this green white three tree with vigilance and uh, I got to Coven, and I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> I was <laughs> not, really, not I really had hoped play. for a human green-white card. Can we talk about Liesa? Yes, of course we can talk about Liesa. We can talk about any card you want to talk about. All right, I want to talk about Liesa. <laughs> Liesa, Forgotten Archangel, two white-white black for legendary 4-5 angel with flying and lifelink. So five mana, 4-5, flying lifelink. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, return that card to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step. And if a creature an opponent controls will die, exile it instead. Eh. Eh. That first ability I don't think actually like has relevance in Constructed Magic. They're just going to kill Liasa first. Yes. <laughs> uh and if in a creature if a creature an opponent controls would die, exile it instead. Like that's an effect that you don't want to have on your 5 mana. If you want that effect in the matchup, it's not on your five mana hard to cast creature that they want to kill with any removal spell that they have. It does have the nice little uh, five mana finish, kind of a little Bane Slayer kind of deal going on. Mm -hmm. If you're in specifically white black. Yeah, I mean, I think that if it is useful at all, it's as a Bane Slayer angel in a deck that is already capable of casting it. And then maybe it does some splash work against other stuff, but you have to want the Bane Slayer part first. Hmm. Is this a Nambo with Gisa? Gisa doesn't make tokens, right? Yeah, so <laughs> if you get creatures back with Gisa and have Liesa in play, when they die, they go back to your opponent's hand. Yeah, okay, that's funny. Well, you don't need to, like, double down on this effect, I don't think. But I would avoid playing Gisa and Liesa in the same deck. So we've got Augur of Autumn, one green green for a 2-3 human druid. You can look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play land cards from the top of your library. And Coven, as long as you control three or more creatures with different powers, you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. I mean, this is a card that is trying to play a long and weird grindy game enough that Coven does seem more attainable with it than other magic cards with Coven on them. Uh, but you certainly only are playing this if that, like, semi coarser effect is actually good in your deck and this is certainly a lot worse than coarser crew fix at doing that it blocks worse it doesn't gain you life off of the lands so you probably do need to be reasonably 
likely to hit coven and cast some creatures off the top of your library and you also need to be like guaranteed some pretty grindy games where this sticks around for a little bit yeah i the stat line on this is just a little too off to me double green for three toughness is a lot to ask like i was pretty already skeptical of poppet stitcher which is also a a three drop that's also three toughness and trying to play a long game Mm mm-hmm Whereas this card doesn't even really defend you. Like, Boppa Citra can. This this card can't. Yeah. It's just is trying to let you play a long game by kind of filtering the top card of your library. If it's lands. Sure. Poppa Citra any of kind of hard to defend yourself with because you can't block with the tokens until you flip the until stitcher. You flip it, sure. But sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, at least you can, you know, the best defense is good offense. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah if they attack you too hard and then you just like 15 them with your poppet stitcher like yeah i'm just really skeptical of double like i think the mana situation in standard is pretty rough mm-hmm. so whenever a card is double cost at, at the lower end of the curve and doesn't really have an immediate impact i'm always really skeptical of it well i do think the mana situation is like pretty okay for mid-rangey decks still I, yeah but I, I think you want to cast this as early like on turn three every single time you can mm-hmm because it's the kind of effect you want to have every single turn yeah i don't think that's unlikely in a deck that's full of pathways and slow lands though you know so i i don't think that that's like a huge concern for the type of deck that wants to be doing this but the vulnerability of the card and the like length of the game that this card is asking for are issues like it it asks you to play a long game without actually contributing to getting you there and yes so i don't love that whereas courser's design asks you to play a long game to get advantage out of it and naturally extends the length of the game via the stat line and the life gain i want to talk about fearless adversary yeah right next to it and this might not be the name of the card because it's in what looks to be chinese uh this is a human scout uh one white for three one with lifelink uh, when it enters the battlefield you can pay one and a white any number of times and you put that many courage counters on it uh, and then creatures you control get plus one plus one for each courage counter on Fearless Adversary, including itself. Yeah, I mean, split card, like, medium two drop, but it's a two drop if you don't have anything else, and then it is a bigger anthem when you have more mana. I am I always love split cards like this, that both effects are good in the type of deck that you're running it in. Yeah, it's also a human, which is neat. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this theoretical green-white Sigarda deck where you want all humans that are good and also help you win the game fast <laughs> in just pure anthem effects. Yeah, I... If there is a humans deck, this is a two-drop for it, for sure. Mm-hmm. And if there's any sort of go-wide deck that is also like aggressive enough that you're okay with just playing a three-power on turn two, if that's how your hand shapes out, then yes. Uh, yeah, I think this card is pretty powerful. Looks like we're scrolling up. We've just got kind of... All of the adversaries. I want to get to the good adversary, but it's like you don't like the black one. Well, I just kind of like the black one's base stat line. It's a one B two three with that touch. I think the black one is kind of media. This is yeah. Yeah, Tan- you're not ever really getting an effect out of it. I think is the problem. Right. Tainted adversary is one in a black for a two three death touch. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay two in a black any number of times. When you pay, pay this cost one or more times. It gets that many plus one plus one counters, and then you get twice that many two two black zombie creature tokens with decayed. Um, I mean, maybe if you're doing other stuff with your decayed things, 
Uh, it's just that the, you know, whereas you're really happy that you filled in your curve with the white adversary, uh, like you don't want to miss turn two. It's worth playing anything on turn two in a deck that is playing a card like Tainted Adversary or the 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 white tainted guy or the ugh, the white adversary in a deck that is doing stuff with decayed creatures like spending a card on your turn two to put a two three into play is just like i guess i'm not getting beaten down but if that's not literally what you're doing to me then this didn't really contribute a lot to my game plan I think I mostly ignore the paragraph of text on this card, and I'm just focused on this is a two mana, two, three death touches zombie. Because yeah. I'm hopeful that I can play with zombies, because mm-hmm. I really like Champion of Perished. Yeah. And I hope there's more zombie cards between the two Innistrad sets that'll have enough to to make a zombie deck between this and the Decayed cards. Yeah. Uh, it, it's ability, not super relevant to me. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, right, if you are okay, if that body is the primary use and that is good enough, and then... Sometimes you get to turn five, you play this, and it sets up seven power for your attack on the next turn. Like, that should kill them, right? Especially if you have any Lord effects. If you have uh, Champion of the Perished in play, this gives it three plus one plus one counters. Like, yeah, okay. I I can see it. I'm pretty much not interested in this card unless it's for tribal applications. I think it's not good enough for anything else. Yeah. That makes but sense. I've played a lot of zombie decks, including the first Innistrad, and the two-drop spot is almost always the weakest. <laughs> like, people were playing Walking Corpse in Standard. Do you remember that? <laughs> it's just straight up 1v2-2, two, two, no text. <laughs> if you have Walking Corpse in your deck, you should play a different deck. Was always the takeaway of that. I mean, I didn't play zombies when, with Walking Corpse, I can tell you that. I know. But and it was a thing people did. That's correct not to do. Play good magic cards. Let that be the only takeaway that you have from all 211 episodes of our podcast is try to play as high a density of good magic cards in your deck as you possibly can. Why is there a five color card matters card in Innishad? I don't this know. This dragon? Like what, what is this card? Yeah, no, I just read this text and was very confused by what it's This is like a card I would read from Fifth Dawn. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Alara Reborn or something. Why are there even dragons on Innistrad? Like, Belfar? I know the answer to that one. Because they have to have a dragon. Yeah, there has to be a dragon because it sells a set. Yeah. They, like, want to put it on packaging and right. stuff. Right. That's why, that's why Balefire Dragon exists. And I guess There's that's one why. dragon in every Innistrad set. There's <laughs> Balefire Dragon, and then the Mirror Wing Dragon, and then this one. <laughs> they just do not belong on this plane whatsoever. Nope. You know, those gothic dragons. Not gargoyles. Dragons. Mm-hmm. Drag- dragons. Ooh, Chaplain of Alms, can I talk about this one? Yeah. Uh, this is a white mana 1-1, one, one, human cleric with first strike, and ward 1. Oh, oh, no, that's not what I thought it was. They, they can't kill my 1-1 one, one for a 1. Yeah, if you ever want to target it, you got to pay another mana. I, I'm at the I'm at prey of reading cards here, because I thought when this died, it turned into the, the backside. No, you got to pay a million it actually has, mana. Yeah, it actually has Disturb, which is a like flashback adjacent mechanic where it only works in the graveyard you pay its disturb cost and then you put it onto the battlefield for on the back side when you disturb it from your graveyard and on the back side it's a 2-1 flying first strike that gives all your creatures ward one and if it would die uh you exile it instead yeah don't get tricked into playing this card as like a any of the various 
lineage of one ones for one that die into a token or something. it's not that like you yeah i initially read it as a doomed traveler just mm-hmm. like shortcutting disturbed into the the back card but i forgot that i'd have to pay like five mana total for two on flyer <laughs> and i i got off it like in the middle of reading it <laughs> makes sense um, all right, here is Spectral Adversary, one in a blue for a 2-1 flash flying. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay one in a blue any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on it. Then up to that many other target artifacts, creatures, and or enchantments phase out. If you're doing spirit stuff, this probably has some application. If you're doing kind of flashy stuff, I mean, phasing things out, you can protect your things. You can fog something for a little bit. You can make a combat go a little bit better for you. And, you know, this can be a two-power flyer on turn two. When you do it and phase something out, it's a 3-2 flyer. It's got a decent creature type. I don't love this card, but some people will. Yeah, it's kind of whatever to me. Mm -hmm. It's mostly worse than... If you're allowed to play it, it's mostly worse than Rattle Chains. Yeah, I think so. If you're trying to do spirit stuff. Just, and if you're trying to play flash stuff, it may be one of the better two drops, but I don't know if you're hurting for like two drop flash creatures in a like counterspell type of yeah. fish deck. Yeah. I'm not super excited about this one. It may see standard play if you can do flash stuff. Mm-hmm. Just for lack of options, I think. Yeah, I mean, and those decks in particular, it is kind of nice to have the option of like, God, I got a little bit flooded. Okay, but I can make this a four power flyer or like, God forbid, a five power flyer because I get just am getting dumpstered by these land draws because uh, those decks often don't have a lot to do when they have accidentally drawn too many lands. So a little bit of a trance there, but mostly a card I don't really expect to show up anywhere. Yeah. Unlike the sideboard card, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know the name of, it's in Italian, but it's one. it's a one and a white sorcery. If an opponent has more life than you, you gain four life. If an opponent has more creatures than you, create two 1-1 one, one white human creature tokens. And if an opponent has more cards in hand than you, draw a card. So it's very similar to timely reinforcements. A little bit smaller, but it it cantrips if you're if you're <laughs> behind on your opponent in cards. Yeah, I I think it's great. I think timely reinforcements has cost a mana too much for several years now. And this is a great fix to it. It's also a hate card. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like it because it doesn't like call out two different colors or creature types or whatever. Yeah. But this is just a hate card for aggressive text. Yep. And it'll see a ton of play and it'll be a little less just absolutely backbreaking when it happens at the perfect time because it is only two tokens. Four life, like six life is just an absolutely disgusting amount of life. Four life, you feel like you might be able to finish the climb up that mountain. And if you are getting the life and the creatures, it is really unlikely that you are also getting the card. So, mm-hmm. you know, rarely going to be just the mega blowout. And uh, that mana cost adjustment for a little bit of, you don't get quite as much. I, I think that's a trade that you're pretty happy to make. Playing Paying three mana for timely reinforcements, just like, especially in modern, just kind of doesn't keep up with what you need to get out of that mana. Like, maybe there's some worlds where you can have this against a control deck just to try to get the creatures and the card. Like, if they wrath and have a thing. But that's going to require a very specific context. But it is kind of flexible. It's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Going to see a lot of a lot of play. ton of application for this. Do you think Siphon Insight is playable? Blue-black? Is that the blue-black card that I've heard? 
like a bunch today. Are you asking me if I think it's playable? Yeah, so this is blue-black for an instant. Look at the top two cards of target opponent's library. Exile one of them face down and put the other on the bottom of that library. You may look at and play the exile card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. Flashback one, blue-black. I mean, to me, this is this does seem largely worse than Think Twice and also more color-specific than Think Twice. Yes, that's exactly the comparison I was going to make. I think this card is not good. Okay. Because Think Twice is a very similar card. Uh, one you draw a card, flashback to you. So it's just... Drawing cards from your deck is way better than drawing cards from your opponent's deck. This card has a little bit of selection, but I think two cards is not good enough. It's it, like if this were to look at the top three or look at the top four, mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, we, we're doing something now. We can get some selection, offsets how bad it is drawing from your opponent's deck rather than your own. Yep. But no, I'm not. I'm not interested in. Uh, like a bad thing twice no I, in two different colors it's yeah i i'm not about it but like where, where what deck am i playing this and what deck am i hoping to play it right. against is the thing to me like maybe a blue black control mirror but you know but then it's a think twice it's right? just it's just think twice because you're just trying to make it into think twice and if you're playing it's like a green mid-range deck and you see a combat like a fight spell in a creature or a fight spell in a land you're just like oh I guess I'll take the land. Right, or even just, just, like, a creature. Like, I spent two mana to draw a creature out of their deck that doesn't work with any of the cards in my deck that maybe can block one. Like, that's... And maybe I don't have time to play it. Right. Because I'm, you know, in the mid-range matchup with my blue-black deck. Yep. It's just really weird. I, I like I like stealing cards from my opponent's deck and playing them. I just like them to be on things like Gaunti where it is a thing in addition to stealing the card or Raghavan mm-hmm. or Robert Rich or whatever. This card is just straight up you're trading a card in your hand for a card from your opponent's library. And yeah. that's not good enough to me, even with flashback. I'm going to stick this in, in some cubes, though, probably. This is a cool cube card. <sighs> yeah, it'd have to be graveyard heavy because the flashback's really what makes this card to me. Right. You, like, I really want to cast it from the graveyard as, for the first time. Yeah, that's that's true. And stealing cards is always way better in cube than it is in constructed. Yeah, because your decks are not as linear just by default. Mm-hmm. Hostile Hostile is really funny to me. I really just... This seems like a card that they would name like Hostile Hotel and then you joke about them. Possi- could They could have named it Hostile Hostile, but they just went for it and it's just named Hostile Hostile. I also like the backside's name is Creeping In. Yes. Which is like a perfect name. I honestly like that more than Hostile Hostile. Yep. Uh, This is a land with a very disappointing last line of text. Tap, add a colorless. One tap, sacrifice a creature. Put a soul counter on Hostile Hostile. Then if there are three or more soul counters on it, remove those counters, transform it, then untap it. Activate only as a sorcery. Nuts. I guess we're not, we're off this card entirely. I'm pretty off of it. On the other side, it's like a big. It's a three-seven. You can pay mana to phase it out. It has some, but it's just really hard to make this thing work. I think it costs two mana to do the sacrificing, and you can't do it in response to removal spells. You can't do it EOT, and it's also a colorless land, which is really difficult, especially for any sacrifice deck. I don't know how many of y'all have played a sacrifice deck. But just somehow there has never been a single one that doesn't have intense mana requirements. So, 
That's because black cards are hardwired to all be <laughs> like double black at all times. Yep. I want to talk about uh, whatever this white wrath is. It doesn't have a name because it's in Japanese. Uh, but it's a picture of Odric standing nice and majestic over a pile of corpses. <laughs> uh, it's a six white white sorcery. It costs one less for each creature on the battlefield and destroy all creatures. So it's kind of like Blasphemous Act from the first Innistrad, but mm. the, the Wrath version. I kind of medium on this one. It's got a peeling text on it where at around three creatures, it costs five mana, and that's kind of acceptable for five mana Wrath to kill three creatures. Because mm-hmm. uh, two creatures is six mana, and that's way too much. But five mana is, is kind of workable. But if your opponent's just attacking with two mid-range cards, you often want to wrath that in your wrath deck. Mm-hmm. And this card just costs way too much mana to do that. Yeah. And a deck that is, like, piling creatures onto the table and often gets three out really quickly, like a five-mana wrath is kind of slow against that type of deck. So... So then you'd have to introduce your own creatures to the battlefield. Not ideal. Which offsets the natural card advantage of wraths, but does let you cast this quicker. It's like casting uh, Lenoir Elves so that you can Wrath on turn three. I mean, if you're hard evidencing or whatever to get a crap token as a blocker, sure, that's not the worst thing in the world. No, I have Wrathed away many a crap. I've Anger of the Gods away many a crab token. Yeah, I've seen your horrible screenshots of that happening. So, okay, side note about Historic right now. Uh, because there is a Historic Open this weekend. Everybody is playing goofy little creature decks i don't know what's going on but the most the card that has been cast against me the most is prosperous innkeeper if you are playing any sort of controlling deck just lean towards the anger of the guides anger of the gods like spectrum of cards to put in your flex slots and not like the shark typhoon spectrum of cards anger of the gods is so good right now i keep casting it and then my opponent is just dead so you know just just my small report from arena flattering <laughs> like holy crap anger of the gods is really good right now uh but yeah this this Audric wrath thing is kind of medium i guess you can sideboard it against tokens decks or something if it were one mana less i'd be so much more on board with it mm-hmm. but it it being like six mana to kill two creatures is way too much and three creatures for five mana is oftentimes like you said too slow yeah I mean, we don't have any Wrath, though, right? In white, because we're losing Shatter the Sky. There's the Call Time one, the Foretell one. Oh, that's right. That card's great. Yeah, we don't need this. If we want a Wrath, we can play that one. Doomscar, I think? Yeah, I just like don't think of it because it hasn't been applicable to Standard at all, because Standard is about ultimatums and stuff, <laughs> so... Why play rats when you can simply win the game? Go on top of everything. <laughs> no, yeah, Doomscar's great. I don't think you need this thing. Oh, here we are with Bloodthirsty Adversary. One in a red, two, two haste. When it enters the battlefield, you may pay two in a red any number of times. When you pay this cost one or more times, put that many plus one plus one counters on Bloodthirsty Adversary, then exile up to that many target instant and or sorcery cards with mana value three or less from your graveyard and copy them. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. Uh, it's got that, like, Mystics' Mastery text that lets you get around Grafdigger's Cage for some reason. Basically, this is your 
two mana, two, two hastes. That is also a Goblin Dark Dwellers. And that is quite a split card that I will probably be playing a lot of because that really appeals to me. Also, that's a relevant type if that matters yep. for the next set. Vamp- it's a vampire. Yeah, as opposed to Robber of the Riches archer type. It's is it a, it's an archer rogue. Yeah, it's. I guess it's not a human? No, it's a human archer rogue. Human it's archer. Just it's just got creatures. every creature type. Okay, yeah. sure. This this one, though, Bloodthirsty Adversary, just a vampire. No job. Even though she's got two, two crossbows. crossbows. She's not an archer. She's not an archer. She's two archers. She's a vampire archer archer. No, no, just a vampire. Everyone knows vampires can't be archers. They can just own crossbows. <laughs> yeah, she's doing more of like a Van Helsing kind of thing than like an actual yeah. like archer kind of thing. One crossbow for each point of power. <laughs> so she gets a third one when you pay the kicker thing yeah it's just another crossbow (laughs) if you pay it kicker a lot of times it gets pretty cumbersome Mm -hmm. but the spells help make up for it yes i guess these are magic crossbows yeah yeah the the spell just lets one like float around her and do its own thing it's an animate weapon kind of scenario yeah exactly uh yeah i mean this card i think is the best of the bunch in the it's at least the most like clear like you can put this in several different types of decks and you'll be pretty happy with it type of thing. Uh, I hope we get a vampire. I know we're looking at, I'm looking ahead as that, but I really liked the, the slithy vampires that really awarded attacking a bunch. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping we get some of that. Cause I like it when the aggro decks are not front loaded into just all being haste creatures. Yeah. And, and having some like a little more texture to the games. I love a strong Kirk Noble. It never actually yeah. snowballed as much as you like visualized it snowballing, but like the the appeal was there. The the quest line of hitting you a bunch of times with my one drop was there. I've I've definitely won games solely off of Stronger Noble, but I also played a lot of block mm. where humans was a deck, so you could just like have an unblockable slit in your that, deck. That is funny. That it just was not blockable by humans. Yeah. Oh, Delver of Secrets. I guess we have to talk about this card. Yeah, Delver Secrets. So it's a blue mana 1 1 wizard. The game you keep, you can read the top part of your library. If it's a sorcery or instant, you can transform it. It's a 3 2 flyer on the backside. You know, it's Delver of Secrets. I hate this card. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> it's just never as good as you would be led to think by the existence of broken cantrips. It's always existed alongside. Like, there's a reason this card's unplayable in modern. I'm also like kind of off it because this art is so much worse than Innistrad Delver's yes, Secrets art. Yes, it is, but the the backside of this like inhumane moth butterfly person is so over the top ridiculous that I kind of like it anyway. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a superhero from a really bad comic book. It does. It look it's, it's it looks exactly like a bad um, Mo- visual effects from an '80s comic book movie or whatever <laughs> uh, it's a moth man i mean delver secrets was very good in standard the last time it was in it did have access to ponder at that point so and that is a taxi and probe. difference maker and get taxi and probe <laughs> right so not only was it a little easier to set the top card of your library you also could put more instants and sorceries into your deck than you can in modern times uh that said the bar for a one blue mana one drop in a deck that actually does want that sort of thing is not that high and potentially 
you could be pretty okay with having this as your one drop if you just need something in there in your like curiosity deck or whatever yeah I, I, that's a good comparison to make like if you're playing a deck with like a curious obsession type of effect it, it doesn't even matter what your one drop is you just need one and delver's perfectly serviceable even if it doesn't flip until turn four and hey sometimes you high roll and just attack for three on turn two I mean, and then your opponent can be real salty about it, but it's just like there's a chance that that will happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it might be low, like 20%, but, you know, still happens. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, that is a big question. How many instants and sorceries can you put into your standard deck? If it's 20, like, that's a lot. I don't know that you can get any higher than that, and that's, like, pushing it. And then that's still only a 33% chance to flip at any given time without any library manipulation which i don't foresee us getting anything playable no consider it isn't the opt we're getting you can't even Mm -hmm. it goes in the graveyard (laughs) like there's no serum visions even as bad as that card is it says up delver uh there's just kind of nothing yep that i can think of maybe there's some unplayable card (laughs) but no Uh, delver is just on its own and i'm glad it's reprinted i guess and that people like this card way more than i do so good luck to those people making this card work it was a good choice people are really excited about this i I think that this is a great reprint they're they're just gonna be i I just feel bad for them because this card's so specific but But honestly those people who like delver are probably not going to be playing standards yeah well look everybody who loves everybody who loves delver like, is familiar with the disappointment of, like, <laughs> everybody who's so excited to play it in Standard has spent time playing it in Modern and not flipping it because it can't flip in Modern. So, like, it's not going to be a big, like, let down. It, like, these people have been hurt before, and they're just going to keep coming back. It's just, well, they know what they're signing up for. Yeah, it's a masochism thing at this point. Okay. And they'll probably already have their Innistrad ones, so they don't have to look at Mothman. Don't play this version. This version is... I mean, there's there's probably, like, a tilt factor to it that, like, could make it worth it for some people. But, oh, oh my god. Like, Delver of Secrets art is a classic of magic art, and in particular, magic's adoption of a specific horror trope in a way that is genuinely, like body horror frightening and creepy in a a fantastic way this is just some hot nonsense i i would a thousand percent if i ever played delver play with this version even though i already (laughs) own the other ones horrifying because it's just it's it looks so goofy it's just too goofy like i it's just such a mood swap like delver of secrets it is a horror story at the end of it it's what have i done to myself and and it's it's really like kind of moving and and really awful this one and they they put it in the flavor text but he is so goddamn pumped to be a moth (laughs) he could not be more excited man look at that bright light we're we're doing it yeah, I guess he's so excited to go kill himself by flying to the moon. Uh-huh. It's more dangerous than most places with a moon, honestly. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe that's hidden story element. 
the insectile aberration will unlock Emrakul from the moon. It was Delver's secret's fault all along. <laughs> that would be a hell of a story twist. Yeah, but I hope it's not because this art is too much for it. <laughs> like, yeah. it's no, I, I don't see it. Well, I don't see a storyline where the moth successfully flapped itself to the moon. I don't know how moons work in magic, but I assume they're still in space. Uh, I don't know. Probably. Mm. The Hell Vault was made out of moon rock. It was silver. <laughs> the moon is just silver on Amistrad. Oh, okay. So that's their like werewolf explanation and stuff then? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's why the many of the equipment in the first set is like moon silver. Mm, okay, yeah. I never like put the, put all that together. Yep. There's not even an Innistrad book. That's just all gleaned from the cards. <laughs> I mean, they did a good job of telling the story. Like, I've missed some things, obviously, but they constructed a world that was compelling with just magic cards. Yeah, it was good. Sacred Fire. Got a little baby lightning helix with flashback. Red, white, instant. Two damage to any target. You gain two life. Flashback, four, red, white. It's going to be such a frustrating card to play against if two toughness is a critical toughness for aggro decks in the format and there's a control deck that can cast this thing. Yeah, I actually like this card. It's no lightning helix, obviously, but the bar for a flashback card in a control deck is pretty low. Yeah, and this helps you stay alive to cast the flashback card. So, if this card's castable and fine, it will see play. We played a bunch of Moment of Craving when that was in standard, and I yes, mean, it killed a Danto Vanguard, which was part of the specific reason for it. But it also killed a lot of other stuff. I mean, I played with Fungal Infection a couple of times, which was just <laughs> black minus one minus one make a sapling. <laughs> yes, that one was very much for killing one toughness indestructible creature. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, it had a utility. Like it killed two two toughness creatures. Yep, yep. So yeah, Sacred Fire will see a fair amount of play uh, in very controlling decks. Reaching the end of the the spoilers, we are. Boy, these day night frames are really distracting, and I like almost can't finish reading the text on the cards. <laughs> yes, they really are. Especially because it's also like full frame art so there's art in the background of the text box there's just like a lot of stuff going on on these cards uh, i kind of want to talk about sun gold sentinel sure maybe to wrap it up yeah uh this is a one white three two human soldier when sun gold sentinel enters the battlefield or attacks exile up to one target card from a graveyard so it's got that mardu whatever it's called text uh it's got a coven ability so you can pay one and a white to choose a color, Sun Gold Sentinel gains hexproof from that color until end of turn and can be blocked by creatures that color this turn. <laughs> which you can only activate if you control three or more creatures with different powers. Just, I don't know why this card doesn't say protection. It, I, they don't want you to be able to block with it. It, it would sure. just be an insane blocker if it gained protection. I mean, but you've got so many other creatures to block with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that allowing it to just prevent damage from any I, I think that would be a lot it is you can't kill it with a removal spell if you've got two mana up uh if, if you have coven yeah i mean if you if death gorge scavenger effects are necessary this is that effect in white in a nice like two mana package I, i'm okay with it see i'm actually less the death gorge scavenger thing is obviously good but i'm less about being a death gorge scavenger as I was with the other card, mm -hmm. the knight something or another, the werewolf. 
uh, then this is just like a generic good two drop in a white deck. Yeah. Like any white aggressive deck. Two mana, three, two instead of a three, one. Mm-hmm. Way better. Uh, with relevant text on it. Like we were talking about the adversary and how that card is good because it's just a two drop you can jam on the board and it scales up. Yeah. Uh, this card's a way better two drop than that card is. Sure. Without, with a different kind of scaling. Like you interact with your opponent instead of trying to build up your own board and eventually I guess it can push through. I'm assuming any human deck is going to have anthems, so maybe a little more damage than is represented by its sure. just power. Yeah, and yeah, it just rewards like, oh, the board got locked up, but like I'm fine with that. I can I can keep getting in for damage. It's a nice, but you may have to be like mono white in order to make use of this in an aggressive deck, because like, how are you casting your spells otherwise? Well, yeah, mana mana things are always going to be tough. And white and two color aggro decks. White has the mono white with faithless haven is not that bad. Yeah, I mean it has to be faithless haven because white's man land is not frost dragon is just not good enough. Yes. Uh, cave but, of the frost dragon. Well, not to be confused with cave, icing death. <laughs> the cave is fine. It's just making a, a mana. But once you turn it into the frost dragon, it's just like, why did I spend so much mana on this? <laughs> yeah, it's so much mana for three power. It's it's a lot, especially compared to Cave of the Bugbear, just attacking for an extra damage for a mana less. Like, ugh. um, yeah, I'm totally down for Sun Gold Sentinel. If we're playing like an aggressive humans deck, this is probably a pretty acceptable two drop human. I'm I'm in. I'm, I'm kind of still on the lookout for tribal payoffs because I knew Innistrad was really really good at introducing those, and there haven't been a lot yet other than like Sagarda and Champion of the perished so i'm still kind of hopeful to see like a spirits one or whatever yeah maybe maybe not now maybe in the next set but we still got like a week left of previews yeah i mean the tribal stuff definitely you know innistrad was a tribal set in a way that i don't think that these are like claiming to be but there is just some like DNA that they're using to to like reference what was going on there, and humans uh, does seem to be the strongest, the closest to being a tribal thing. I wish they would lean into it more when they're naming their sets after creature types. Yeah, true. <laughs> and less into like coven, because I know that coven's a story thing, but like who cares? Coven's right. garbage. <laughs> like coven is just party with less flavor. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of like you know like werewolves. They're not making like a tribal like we got all these lords, but they are making them like mechanically cohesive. And so, yeah, you do kind of want more werewolves. You want to like you want more rewards for flipping between day and night, because if you're doing that anyways, you want to have that synergy there. So I I do kind of like that approach to it, but I wonder if it'll tie together and lead to a successful deck. I, I don't know. I always like it when tribals tribes are more specific to the tribe rather than just being lords and picking a creature type. Yeah, it's more interesting. Like like in the old Innistrad, the spirits were like there was a they all had a lord, right? But they did different stuff. Mm-hmm. And the spirit one just gave hexproof because spirits were supposed to be hard to interact with yeah. and like tricky and stuff. Uh, the vampires were all slits. The the zombies didn't really have a great lord. They did have one, but they were mostly about bringing themselves back over and over and over again and humans are just you know the generic lord one which i'm fine with because there's a million humans (laughs) well yeah and then in the second innistrad thali's lieutenant just like the best the most powerful lord ever printed yeah 
So yeah, I, I like the cards we're getting. I really love Flashback and Decay. Those are my two favorite highlights from the set so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to, to more cards. Yeah, this set appeals to me in a lot of ways. A lot of this art is phenomenal. Just the feel of the set. It, it definitely feels like going back to something that I loved before and is getting approached in a cool way. And there's a number of cards that I'm really excited to play with. So feeling good about this one. Honestly, if I could play with the stupid uh, uh, Siphon Insight card I said was unplayable, I'd actually be pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. It is the type of card that, like, I think you would have fun playing with. It's just that the power level does not quite seem to be there. But if the power level of standard is low enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> I could get away with it more easily. <laughs> yeah, I do think that we are going to be able to put together some relatively scary stuff here. At least some creatures like punching you in the face pretty hard, which this card is not acceptable if that's happening. See, I kind of want it. I kind of want the humans. I, I, I want humans and zombies to be good because mm-hmm. I like those tribes. I don't actually ever really plan on playing humans, but I like the existence of a more or less fair green or white deck mm-hmm. that's just like kind of playing classic magic. And then zombies, I just love the gameplay of. We'll see. Definitely room for more tribal stuff to get spoiled from this set and there's a whole other set too which was also part of the like reason that i'm like pumped is because a little bit of a return to a block kind of framing of stuff and i do miss blocks quite a bit so yeah the the uh the brothers war dominaria thing i think is probably also going to be connected Mm -hmm. which is neat I, i like the the two set connections rather than just like all right here's kamigawa now here's kapena or whatever that set's called yeah I, I did like when they switched, like, like the era of two set blocks, I think was when they really kind of like, it, there was something really strong to that formula where it's just like, do the thing, do more, the, the weirder interpretations of the thing. Three, the third set often got a little bit exhausted and played out. Two sets is neat. And yeah, just like jumping from place to place without getting your footing and like staying anywhere for a little while is I don't know. Not my favorite, personally. Yeah, I, I feel the same. And I... Honestly, I was less... I, I've never really liked Werewolves that much, so I'm less excited for this set than the next one. Mm-hmm. But this set is a treat, because there's a lot of mechanics in it that I do like. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. We will be back next week with more spoilers. No time to talk about Historic today, but if you are playing in the Arena Open, best of luck to you, and... You know, let us know what you're playing and and how you did. And if it's red, there better be some anger of the gods, apparently. I, man, just a lot of people, like, putting out a prosperous innkeeper and a blood artist and a something, and you're just like, I'll take, uh, I will take this three for one for three mana, and I don't believe that you will ever recover from it, and maybe you will delete your deck after this match. So... Don't 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 sleep on anger of the gods right now. It's disgusting. Oh, it's it's the commander card. That's why I couldn't find it. Oh, the Gitrog thing I was talking about. I'll I'll link it to you. It's on it's on Visions of Dominance. It's this tiny little frog looking into a pool, and he's he's reflecting back at the Gitrog monster. Oh wow, he is, and it's got the arm in its mouth and everything, so you know it's the Gitrog monster. Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. That's awesome. 
you're just like looking in a pool dreaming about the future and you see yourself as the Kit Rock monster. That's so cool. It's it's a dream for every frog horror to aspire to. Yeah. No matter how small. I mean, the Gitrog monster certainly started out as a very small frog, and it just ate its way to the top. So that's how you get there. <laughs> one, one bite at a time. They don't really bite. They just kind of like... Chomp. Swallow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you've ever seen... Do frogs have teeth? No. If you've ever seen, like... If you Google frog teeth, you just get a bunch of photoshops of teeth and frog mouths. <laughs> uh, just if you've ever seen like an anatomical diagram of a frog, they're just like 90% stomach. That's all they are is just like stomach with like legs to carry them around and a giant mouth that leads directly to the stomach. Well, I mean, frogs know what they're about. Yeah. Eating. Jumping places and eating. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's the life. They got it all figured out. Cool. Thanks, everybody, so much for hanging out. We do really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. You can also find us on social media. I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. Yeah, I'm at Lee McCleo. Um, That's it for us. Have a great week. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>